Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the IP Obsessed podcast by the IP Duo. Today, we're really excited. We're going to talk about the patent application process. And more importantly, we are going to have our very first guest on this podcast. So without further ado, we're going to get into a little of the nitty gritty with Tina, um, just to kind of talk about what, what, what exactly a patent application, um, what goes into patent application preparation and the filing. Um, so Tina, for our listeners, can you tell us, you know, at the very beginning of the process, what kind of documents do inventors need to provide to their patent attorney? Uh, great question, Michelle. Uh, it's, it's important to, there are two main things that you should provide. Uh, one is a description of the invention and supporting figures. And technically for every patent application, that um, the claims define the meets and bounds of the invention and technically figures have to support the claim. So nearly every patent application is going to have supporting figures. So if you can provide figures to your patent attorney, it's going to save time. It's going to save money. Awesome. So um, when, you, when you say figures, what, what exactly does that mean? Another good question. So if if your invention is um, something like this, so, you know, uh, this, these are my it's, So it's like, okay. It's, it's the so AirPod. a description of, of what it looks like. So if I was claiming this AirPods case, um, I would want to show what it looks like, you know, from all sides. So front, back, top, bottom, um, left, right sides. You want to show, you know, different angles. So you want to show it opened. You want to show it closed. You want to show if there are different parts, ex of exploded views. So, um, you know, a view of what it looks like when you take out the AirPods, uh, what they look like. So really it's uh, all the different parts um, and different views from all sides. Okay. Excellent. Uh, so the description, the written description is you know, in your own words, describe it in as much detail as you can. And um, the other part of that description is what, how is your invention different? So what's new about it? Uh, if you're solving a problem and every invention should solve a problem, how are other people solving the problem? So that's part of the description, description of the invention, how other people are doing it, and then supporting figures. Okay. Excellent. And that will all make both the inventor's job and the attorney's job a little bit easier. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, for a lot of inventors out there, um, at just starting off companies that are just getting off the ground, I mean, you know, the, the process of, of building a patent portfolio and in a trademark portfolio can be, you know, quite, um, quite costly. So do you have any advice or is there any way um, for inventors or companies to, to save money um, in the process? Yes, there, there are several ways. And I mentioned the fingers for a reason because that's one area you can really save a lot of money okay. uh, by providing as many figures. And when I say figures, so you wouldn't have you don't have to hand draw or you know draw in any sort of sophisticated program. You don't have to use a sophisticated program to draw the figures. You can take photos. So if you can give your, your attorney as many photos from different angles, you know, everyone has a smartphone these days, take as many photos as possible. Uh, they don't have to be, you know, sophisticated CAD drawings. They can be actual photos. 
And in many cases, your attorney can inexpensively convert those photos. Sometimes it's not possible. You have to get a professional to draw them because there are standards for patent applications. But in many cases, it is possible to convert photos to acceptable drawings. Um, Another way to save money is, again, I mentioned that description, write as much as you can. The more you can write yourself and give to your attorney, the more you are going to be able to save money. So uh, there are going to be different parts of a patent application. There's going to be a background section. There's going to be a description of the invention. So if you can write the background, so the background is, you know, the problem, how other people are solving the problem, how those, how other people are failing in solving the problem and how your invention has provided various advantages. So as much as you can write in detail is going to save money because it's going to save your attorney time from having to ask you those questions because all of that information has to be provided. And it's either back and forth over email. And remember a lot of times attorneys are billing you by the hour or it's going to be phone calls. And again, that's, you know, attorney time. So providing that information is going to be uh, very helpful in, in saving saving money on the application filing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you know, as the inventor, you're the one that knows the invention the best. So you're in the best position to do all that. Exactly. Okay. So once all the information is provided to your attorney, can you tell us just a little bit about the process? Yes. So we're talking just about um, the preparation process. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into preparing the application and filing it and then prosecution is a separate phase. So I'm just going to talk about the application itself. So uh, initially, uh, ideally, you'll provide your attorney those written documents, so written descriptions and supporting figures. And the figures include any data. So if you know you've got a new pharmaceutical that you want to describe pharmaceutical composition, any you know studies that you've done, assays, you know, so graphs, um, things like that, that's all included in the in the figures. Uh, you give your attorney those documents, the attorney reviews them. Uh, ideally, it's it's then best to have a call with, with your attorney. And the reason is, even though you're sending the attorney, your attorney, all those documents, it's a lot of times I find I prefer to have a verbal conversation mm-hmm. about the documents because uh, the way that someone writes something, a description is very different than they would describe it verbally. And a lot of times I can get a lot more information when I ask very basic questions, uh, like what, how does your invention solve, you know, this problem that you have, what are the advantages? And so I find that the combination of a written description and verbal description are the best way to, to, for me to gather the most information. So there's a, a telephone call generally about an hour uh, then I will begin drafting the application. And depending on how much information I have and the, the technology, it can take me anywhere from, uh, you know, start to finish. If I don't answer emails or do anything else, um, anywhere from average, I would say 12 to up to 40 hours. Wow. So a lot goes into preparing these applications. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, two to five days worth of work. And that's typically 
I try to do it all at once because that's mm-hmm. most efficient, but I have other things going on and yeah, I usually can't do that. <laughs> Yeah. So usually from the time that I have the call with the inventors till the time I send them the first draft, it's um, usually a month or okay. a month or two. Okay. And at that point, uh, the inventors will review, they'll send me back comments, track changes, suggested edits, and we'll go through several iterations of that. Usually it's just over email. We typically don't need to have another call, but if it's a complicated invention and I've missed something important, then it's easiest and most efficient to go back and have another call. But generally we'll go through two or three rounds of revisions over the course of several weeks and then file the application. So from the time I send them the first draft till the time we file the application, I would say is average two to four weeks or so. Okay. That's a, a reasonable time. Well. Okay. Excellent. That's very interesting. So I think at this point, we're ready to introduce our very first guest on the podcast. So exciting. Um, So you might recall to our listeners, um, a few weeks ago, we spoke about um, just the patents in general. Uh, We talked a little bit about who can be an inventor. And one of the examples was you it really can be anybody, including a 12 year old. And so uh, for our first guest, on our podcast ever, we have Tina's very youngest client, Brady Ciatola. Brady, welcome to our podcast. Hi. Um. So I'm Brady. I'm a six, or I'm going into seventh grade at Ram. Um. I play sports like gymnastics, lacrosse, and basketball. Um. I have one dog, and I love inventing. This is true. And also we should mention that Brady is my son and I can <laughs> yeah. tell you. Can you tell I, anyone watching <laughs> can see the risk? <laughs> yeah. And from, from personal experience, he is a serial inventor. He's always tinkering, always thinking of new things, what he can improve, what he can come up with next. So, um, you know, of all the inventions that you've come up so far, we have one that has a patent pending. Yep. You're working on with with Tina. Can you tell us about your invention? So um, my invention is a, I call it the lure. So what it is, is basically just an interchangeable fishing lure, which means that I can take the connector right so and i can just twist off the fishing lure and put on a new one and what are the advantages of being able to do that so the advantages um for if anyone who fishes is watching this you know that the best times to fish are late in the night or early in the morning so um and what do those two times have in common they're both dark so i have trouble tying the knots i know and I sometimes go fishing with my grandpa. He has an even harder time. At, so I decided I'd invent something to fix it. And um, that's where I came up with the lure. It. Awesome. And actually, when you talked a lot, a little bit earlier, Tina, about the inventor interview, I have to share with our listeners that that was the, my first ever experience. Um, listening in on an inventor interview was with, uh, with Brady and Tina. So Brady. Can we talk a little bit about the patent application process and your experiences with it? Um, so what what did you think a lawyer was going to do? Um, I honestly had no clue. I thought something along the lines of just like checking, 
like I've heard you doing um for trademarks just searches, uh-huh. right? So I thought that that was what you did, okay. and then you said we couldn't find anything, and then you just sent in what you made, and then maybe they and then they get back to you about it. Okay. So that's about what I thought happened. Okay, and um, were there any surprises? Yeah, in the process, like what? So um, first off, um, we didn't do. We did a few small searches, but that's about the extent of it. We just just to make sure that mm-hmm. it wasn't already done. And then um, rather than just sending in the model, we actually, as Tina said earlier, we had to make the um, the photos of it. Right. So that was and then we also had to do the explanation, which I was not expecting. Now we just thought you had to do like photos. Yeah. That's all I thought. Yeah, photos but. were a little harder for us than you would have expected because um, we had to locate the prototype. Yeah. In a 12-year-old boy's bedroom. And, you know, Brady, that's a good point because you're not alone in thinking that not realizing what the attorney does and that you have to write, the attorney has to take the invention and the invention being the photos. And you had some written description that you gave me too, which was helpful. Um, because you described the problem, which again, you know, is very important. But the attorney has to describe in excruciating detail every part, you know. And when it's a mechanical invention, it, you use strange language, and you know, it can. It's very complex. So I, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's what an attorney does is, you know, writes up this long, complicated description. Yeah, that. It surprised me, like, seeing the entire description. I remember reviewing it, and it, like, made no sense. So I had to go for, like, five <laughs> times. It's a different language. It is. No, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Brady, now that you've gone through the initial process of getting that application filed, do you have any tips for making the process easier? Yeah, like Tina said earlier, um, get all your stuff together. That, that was one of the hardest parts. So, um, but once I found the stuff, it was definitely a lot easier. Yeah. And then um, probably just, you know, educating yourself a little bit on the process because like when I went in, I knew nothing. And so I think that would help a little bit. Yeah. Yep. I think so. That makes sense. And I think one of the challenges we had was making sure we had records of when yeah. there was a first disclosure to make sure we get everything in on time. Very important. You know, that was that was a That's big another one. thing I didn't mm-hmm. expect. And I think the good part too for Brady was he did this as part of an invention convention, yeah. Connecticut Invention Convention. So Tina, we were able to provide you, or he was able to provide you with all the the information that he had prepared for the invention convention. Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, how Brady, you're a young inventor, you have a patent pending. Um, how do people react when you tell them that? I think they're all kind of shocked you know it's not often that you see a 12 year old with a patent pending um and they asked me about you know what did it so and when I explain it to them they're always you know they're always like why didn't I think of that it's (laughs) so what when you explain when you say what it is you mean like the the getting a patent or getting a patent they're all they're all like surprised because I think not many people you know I don't understand it going into it not many people do. Yeah. And, and now now he now that he does, he you know, I have to say he's a pretty good uh, advocate for the patent process and uh, Tina as a patent attorney. Yep. <laughs> All right. So 
Now let's kind of take a step back. Why did you want a patent? What what is the value that you see in the patent? Well, obviously it it um keeps it from being stolen, right? And I feel that I can possibly do something with my invention, like maybe sell it. Um, so that's my hope. I've been working on marketing and stuff and figuring out how I'm actually gonna do it. So that was why I wanted the patent. That's a good reason. Yeah. So, so now that we have the application filed, let's talk a little bit about the patent prosecution, um, which is what's going to happen now that your your applications with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So, Brady, do you have any questions for Tina about this process? So, yeah, um, I was wondering what's like the timeline, like. Now that it's filed? Yeah, now that it's filed, like, what's going to happen next? Right. So we filed your application. It's been, what, six months? Eight months or so? Yeah, about, right? Yeah, a little, I think a little less, but yeah. When was it first disclosed? I think it was your, I think it was for your part of your birthday. Yeah, it's like February or March. Yeah. February or March of this year. Okay. So in approximately, now this is a long process from start to finish, Start meaning the filing of the application till the time you have something enforceable on the patent issues can be anywhere from 18 months to the longest I've had. It's 10 years. Wow. And that's almost as long as my career. (laughs) Um, But the average is, what's that? I said almost as long as his life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the average, I would say, is anywhere from three to four years, which is still long. Yeah. Uh, and it depends on the technology area. So, what will happen in probably about a year is we'll get an office action from the patent examiner. So, the US Patent and Trademark Office, they receive the application, it sits there for a while, and then they assign it to a patent examiner. And patent examiners are just people like us, you know, attorneys, not, I'm sorry, not attorneys. They're, they're either engineers or they're scientists, depending on the technology area. They have to have, you know, a scientific or engineering degree and they will take a look at the application and then they will compare your invention to what other people have done in other, um, in other patents all over the world. And they'll either say, yes, this is, this is new. This is inventive. Or they'll say no because someone else has this other patent. So that's called an office action. They'll issue that in writing to me. I'll receive it. And I'll take a look at it. And sometimes examiners are right. Sometimes they're wrong. Uh, Either because they um, don't understand the invention or something needs to be clarified in the invention. And so we'll have an opportunity, if that's the case, to respond and set the examiner straight by providing arguments, explaining why the examiner is wrong or clarifying the invention. So starting out with a scope this big, we'll narrow the scope to something this big. So what I mean by that is with respect to your invention, you've got this um, fishing lure and I can't remember exactly how we've described it, but maybe we'll describe how the connections fit together in a little more detail. And that might distinguish from this other patent that the examiner said is the same as your invention. So 
will have that opportunity and we ha actually have unlimited numbers of opportunities to respond. So say that we narrow the scope of the invention a little bit or respond to the examiner in writing. Um, in that process, if I need input from you as the inventor, say that, um, I'll, you know, of course, you're the client, you, I will let you know every step of the way what happens. So as soon as I get that office action, that rejection, I'll let you know. Um, I'll tell you the reasons the examiner has said the invention is rejected. I'll, um, and then if we need to, well, you and I will have a call to talk about it because maybe there's something that I'm missing that I don't understand and we can talk about it together. And um, we'll come up with a plan together uh, on how to respond. And I will formally respond um, and, you know, with your approval and the examiner will take a look at it again and do the same thing. And they'll update, you know, the search. And if we narrow the scope a little bit, they'll do another search and look for an invention with that more narrow scope. And uh, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll agree with us and they'll allow the application and um, that's it. However, with a more narrow scope, they could find something else and find another reason to reject the claims. And that's common. So I would say 99% of applications get at least one rejection, probably 75% get two rejections. So it's not surprising to get a rejection. Very through applications get through without a single rejection. So that process um, is, you know, can happen two, three, four times. Um, and hopefully we reach an agreement with the examiner uh, and the patent application issues once um, that negotiation process ends. And at that point you have an enforceable patent and you transition from patent pending to patenting. And then you have something that you can sell, you know, the, your patent is an asset and, um, or, you know, license, uh, you can do anything with it if you want. Yeah. <laughs> so um, also, what does it like cover? Like, I know you said, depending on if the examiner um, rejects it or if they allow it, um, it'll cover different things. But like, does that mean I can make future models and they will still like be under the patent? That's a really good question. And it's something that people don't understand, even when they've gone through this process many times. So we drafted this long document that described your invention in detail. At the very end are a numbered set of what we call claims. And those claims are what define your invention. And so when you're coming out with, right now, the claims cover your invention. If you tweak your invention, you know, a little bit to change that interlocking mechanism or, you know, anything, we always want to go back and, and make sure that your claims at the end of your patent application, which actually are not English, they are literally not English, they're not proper English. We always want to make sure that your claims cover the scope of any modifications that you make to your invention. So it's something that they're not easy to interpret. So when you, if you come out with new models, that's something that your attorney that I would help you with to make sure that they're covered. Okay, that makes sense. Any other questions? Um, no, I think that's all. 
Well, thanks, Brady. Those are great questions. Really good questions. I, I, and I didn't know that you were going to ask those, but those are amazing. <laughs> they were all his um, too. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brady, as our first guinea pig guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, I'm glad that we got to talk about this in detail. I'm glad that I got to answer your questions. I knew we were going to get together and talk about this anyway. So I'm happy that we could do it on this podcast. And I think that this information will be helpful for others who are listening and thinking about filing applications. Uh, so that wraps up this episode. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Tina Dorr. I'm the patent attorney part of the IP Duo. I'm Michelle Ciatola. I'm the trademark and copyright part of the IP Duo. And shout out to our supporters, Jessica Lister, in the background of today's episode. She's not going to pop in today. Uh, she is our marketing director. She helps us uh, come up with all the clips, makes everything look nice. Dan Cody, also behind the scenes, helping us with these podcasts. and. George Pelletier, who has done a fantastic job with our creative music. Thanks, everyone. Please follow us on iTunes and Spotify under IP Obsessed with the IP Duo. And please rate us five stars. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. This is our disclaimer. We're not providing legal advice. This is for discussion purposes only, and this discussion does not create an attorney-client privilege.